Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. This is episode five today and we are thinking about whether we are becoming like China. We're thinking about secularism and whether that leads to a loss of freedom and why that should be. And we're thinking about asceticism uh, as our kind of theological thought. So if you are new to the podcast, then I just want to say welcome and, uh, you know, thinking about the world, trying to analyse what's going on in the world from a Christian perspective. That's what um, we're about here. And um, so I do a podcast um, each week and I also do a thought from the Bible. Um, And currently we're working through Revelation and uh, you can find that um, also on the podcast um, as well or on YouTube. And by the way, if you are on YouTube, you can skip through each section. Um, if you look underneath, I'll put the chapters in so you can sort of go on to the next um, next chapter. OK, first things first in, are we becoming like China? One of the fascinating things about the last few months, to me at least, is um, the way that China have been involved in, in COVID. Now, obviously, the, the virus originated in China. But it's looking increasingly likely that the virus was leaked from a lab, um, namely the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It it just looks like that would be the natural um, candidate. Now, what's more interesting still is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology received a total of $7.4 million in grants from the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, a US agency led by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Isn't that interesting that the the Wuhan Institute of Virology had quite a lot of American money um, put into it? Um, But that's just par for the course when it comes to China. It seems like Western leaders cannot get enough of China. It started back in the the 20th century when much of our manufacturing industry went to China because they could do it more cheaply there. So it it was a profit thing. And the reason it could be done more cheaply is, um, what, partly or in large part because workers were not paid as much as Western workers. They didn't have such favourable conditions. Um, They didn't have as much security and so on. And I know one company, um, at least Apple, have been accused of using uh, Chinese uh, manufacturing that involves slave labour. And they've recently been accused of that, but it's been going on for a lot of the time. I remember going to youth events when I was younger um, saying, do not use you know, Chinese sweatshops to these um, trainer companies um, and so on. So, you know, it, it just goes on and on. It's well known that China is no friend of human rights. So this is what Amnesty International have to say about China. So this is the section about human rights defenders or HRDs. Despite constitutional provisions and its international commitments and obligations, China continued its unrelenting persecution of human rights defenders and activists. Throughout the year, they were systematically subjected to harassment, intimidation, enforced disappearance and arbitrary and incommunicado detention, as well as lengthy terms of imprisonment. The absence of an independent judiciary and effective fair trial guarantees compounded such recurrent violations. Many human rights lawyers were denied their right to freedom of movement as well as to meet and represent defendants and have access to case materials. HRDs and activists were targeted and charged with broadly defined and vaguely worded offences such as subverting state power, inciting subversion of state power and picking quarrels and provoking trouble. 
Does this begin to sound a little bit familiar with some of the things that have been happening in, in the Western world over the past 18 months or so? And then this is what Amnesty International go on to say about freedom of religion. Regulations effective as of 1st of February stipulated that religious groups must follow the leadership of the Communist Party of China, persist in the direction of sinicization of religion and practice core socialist values. The government sought to bring religious teachings and practices in line with state ideology and to comprehensively strengthen control over both state-approved and unregistered religious groups. Reports documented the destruction of thousands of cultural and religious sites, particularly in the northwest of China. The state's repression of religion in Xinjiang and Tibet remained severe. People were arbitrarily detained for ordinary religious practices that authorities deemed signs of extremism under the de-extremification regulations. So again, is any of this beginning to sound eerily familiar? Just that, that control of the state, you have to... You have to buy in to what the state wants. You know, the Chinese Communist Party, this is the way that we do things and you all must get with the program or we'll put you in prison or silence you. And that's the kind of thing that happens in China. And recently, China have been accused of massive human rights violations when it comes to the Uyghur Muslims. So this is from an article from the, the BBC. China has been accused of committing crimes against humanity and possibly genocide against the Uyghur population and other mostly Muslim ethnic groups in the northwestern region of Xinjiang. Human rights groups believe China has detained more than one million Uyghurs against their will over the past few years in a large network of what the state calls re-education camps and sentenced hundreds of thousands to prison terms. There is also evidence that Uyghurs are being used as forced labour and of women being forcibly sterilised. Some former camp detainees have also alleged they were tortured and sexually abused. Now let's think about this. I mean, obviously this is horrific. But let's think about it for a second. Does this sound like the kind of country that the Western world should be cozying up to? should be increasing its ties with, should be becoming more dependent on. You know, do you think that this is the kind of country that the Western world should be seeking to emulate in, in any way? And one of the important ethical principles um, which comes from the Bible is that of integrity. So, for example, this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Integrity means that we don't have a public and a private morality. It means that we are the same all the way through. So, for example, if a man gets together with a woman who's cheating on her husband, uh, how will he ever be sure that she won't cheat on him? You know, because a relationship which begun with lying and deception isn't going to end well. And you think, if a politician is caught lying, um, then how can you be sure that they are truthful in public? You know, so the, the lying, uh, if, if you can lie to a spouse or lie to a partner, then you can lie to a country. And, you know, private and public morality go together. We have to be people of integrity. And I think that implies also with countries on a, on a bigger scale. So is it right to rely on China, a country like China, for things such as technology 
when they are doing such terrible things to their own people? Can we trust them to have our best interests at heart? Can we trust them to tell the truth? One of the um, videos I did recently was about the problems in science. And one of the, the problems with science at the moment is that there are a lot of Chinese papers which are finding their way into all sorts of journals which they shouldn't really um, be in. And these are basically made up studies using photoshopped images and even, you know, generated sort of gobbledygook. And um, can we trust any of the science that, that came out of China when it comes to COVID-19? That's the thing. You know, so much of what has happened, for example, asymptomatic transmission is based on this kind of Chinese data. China is having a massive influence on the Western world right now. So just to give a few other examples, um, there's a, an article I found that uh, major media outlets are receiving um, huge payments from Chinese propaganda, from the Chinese Communist Party. You know, they're paying to have an influence in Western media. They seem to have been running pro-lockdown bot armies. So, you know, bots on Twitter that were, um, you know, are kind of badgering MPs, Boris Johnson and so on, to, to go into further lockdowns. And they are also, an article I just read yesterday, behind a lot of Tech UK, which lobbies in support of UK tech organisations. This is Huawei in particular. So we could go on and on here, but you get the picture. Now, I just wonder whether what's happened over the last 18 months is an example of the expression, the chickens coming home to roost. Over the course of the 20th century, it seems like the Western world has bought more and more into China. You know, we put profits ahead of people. We overlooked their human rights violations because it was convenient for us, it was cheaper for us, you know, and they would manufacture things more cheaply. Um, but it was actually, it, you know, we, we overlooked the things that they were doing wrong. There's a biblical expression. This is one that my mum was fond of quoting. Um, it's actually taken from Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. And I think that's what's happening. The sin of the Western world in overlooking all of these things, putting profits before people, putting profits before what's moral and right. Um, it's all coming back. And I think God's judgment on the Western world for ignoring the problems with China is that we are becoming China or we're becoming like China. I think it's no coincidence over the last few months that the Western world has started to look more and more like China. Now, who would have thought prior to March 2020 that a Western government could lock people in their homes for so long? Who'd have thought that the media could be so bought and controlled? I mean, I know people did think that, um, but I, I think a lot of what's happened has showed how deep the problem, uh, the problem sort of goes. It does seem like China are bidding to become the next empire, the next superpower. And there was a really good article about this um, a few few weeks ago. I wish I could find it now, actually. But it talked about how the centre of gravity is moving eastwards, you know, away from the US and talking about how, um, you know, the world could be using China's currency, uh, for example. Now, all of this is very depressing, um, but 
I just wanted to finish our, this section on an optimistic note, and that is, I don't think it's too late for the Western world to row back from the brink. That although I think you know what we've been doing through the 20th century and beyond in investing in in China so heavily, becoming dependent on China, is wrong. It doesn't have to remain like that, you know. And, and I think if we turn back, we can forge a new path. So I think that is still possible at this point. But beyond that, I think one thing is certain. And if you've been, I've mentioned it a, a few times on the podcast already. I've been doing a series on the Book of Daniel, which has been published on my other channel on the Understand the Bible, and you can go and look at that. Uh, but we've, we've been looking at empires and the way that empires work in the context of you know the ancient empire Babylon. And it has given me a lot of hope you know, that empires will come and go. That's just what they do throughout the course of human history. Empires come and go, but at the end of the day, they have no real power. And it is possible for us to resist, safe in the knowledge that God's the one who holds sovereign power over all nations, and our duty is to him not to any human empire. And that will be the case whether the empire is America or China or Britain or, or whoever it is, that God stands over all human empires and all of them turn to dust in the end. And I think that's an encouraging thought um, to end this section with. So the second thing I want to talk about today is whether secularism makes us less free. Now, the other day I was watching one of Dennis Prager's fireside chat videos and um, I like Dennis Prager and I don't agree with absolutely everything he says, but um, I think he's, he's got some uh, good and, and helpful thoughts. Um, and he was saying that the USA is more secular than it ever was. So, you know, the, the, there are fewer people going to church. Um, there are fewer people who are practicing Christians. People know the Bible less than they ever have. Um, and also, you know, simultaneously, they're less free. And he was arguing that those two things are related. They're intimately related. Um, he said that some people would say that they're, they're separate things. You know, they're both more secular and they're less free, but the two things are not related. But he was arguing that those two things are interrelated. Now, I think that he's right. I believe that the more secular we are, the less free we are. And, and I just wanted to explore why that was. And in order to do that, we need to think about why we are here on earth. We need to go back to the beginning. So the Bible begins with the creation um, and you can read about that at the beginning of Genesis. And what that says is that we were made good. Um, the world was created to be a good world, a perfect world with um, you know nothing bad in it. Uh, uh, and yet in Genesis chapter three, there's an event called the fall, which is where uh, mankind turned against God. And it had devastating effects. That was where sin uh, entered the world. Um, that was where uh, death entered the world and, and the world was cursed. And that's why um, th it affected things like childbirth, you know, pain in childbirth, for example. It affected work, how work is hard um, now and not, not as satisfying as it should be. 
how um, there are, you know, um, uh, yeah, every every kind of breakdown in relationships and in countries and everything is kind of comes stems from what happens in Genesis chapter three. Um, so we as human beings, we were made to be, you know, good, but we are fallen. And we as human beings have retained this sense that, you know, the world should be like this, but it's actually like this. The world should be good, but it's actually bad. And um, when we lived in a more Christian society, then we had a more of an intuitive understanding that the, the biggest problem in the world, that, that firstly, the biggest problem in the world was sin, um, our own sin and other people's. And secondly, that that was something that only God could deal with, that human individuals and governments had limited power, that all we could do was acts of love, um, you know, to try and, and do what we could in our own kind of circle, but we couldn't solve every problem as human beings. Now, the problem is, now that we are living in a more secular country where fewer people believe in God, um, or at least fewer people, uh, I think a lot of people believe in God, but there are fewer Christians, there are people don't have so much understanding of the Bible uh, and so on. Very few people going to church Sunday by Sunday, that, that sort of thing. So we still have the sense that the world is not as it should be, but rather than turning to God for the solution, we turn to other means. And in particular, we turn to government. And I think it's striking how many British people these days, and I think this is especially true for younger people, but um, I think it's it's there across every every age. Um, when people see something wrong in the world, they think the government should do something about that. That seems to be our natural solution to everything. You know, for example, gun control. It's quite interesting the difference between British people and Americans about gun control, and you know that um, the 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 um, answers to that problem of guns is more government. Um, and um, whether that's right or wrong, um, I think you know we Brits tend to think that's the solution. We seem to have this this natural idea that every problem in society every inequality, everything, uh, must be solved and that it's the government's job to do it because there isn't a higher authority. Every totalitarian regime of the 20th century thought that they were making things better. And actually, in my previous video about experts, I quoted David Bentley Hart. This is from a book that he wrote called Atheist Illusions. The will to lead modern humanity onward into a post-religious promised land of liberty, justice and equality has always been accompanied by a willingness to kill without measure for the sake of that distant dawn. Francis Galton, Darwin's half-cousin, first popularised the view that traditional social sentimentalities, inspired and maintained by religious myths, had conspired to retard the natural process of evolution by preserving idiots, criminals, weaklings and the feckless from nature's just, if pitiless, verdicts, and that a project of selective breeding was now needed to correct the problem. H.G. Wells predicted the same thing, albeit somewhat more buoyantly, and pronounced the extermination of lesser uh, races a rational imperative. And any number of other earnest souls shared these ideas, 
arguing the need for an ethical approach to society and race that was no longer bound to the obsolete Christian superstition that every life is of equal, which is to say of equally infinite value. So there is the problem of secularism. Once you think that the government are there to solve every problem uh, in the world, the only option that the government have available to them is control, trying to exert control. Treating people well becomes an irrelevance. Instead, you have to control them to achieve the end which you've set. So if the end that you, you have set is to reduce inequality, you have to forcibly take money away from the wealthier people in society and give it to the people who have less. And you have to you have to do it by force, effectively, because you don't have um, you can't make people just do it of their own free will. And this is why lockdown, I think, is such an, an anti-Christian ideology. You know, to lock people in their homes, away from their friends and families, away from work, away from their churches, and so on. You know, this is just not the Christian way to treat people. That you know, even if it's for a good purpose, and we looked at this more in the previous or podcast number three about the ends and the means, how the ends don't justify uh, the means. In a Christian society, controlling people is God's prerogative. The government recognise that they cannot control people and can only punish them if they do something wrong. And that, according to the Bible, is uh, one of the main two functions of government. The other one being um, to promote what's right and good, and in particular, uh, the, the true worship of God. So wielding the sword and promoting what is good, I think, are the two main things that the, the Bible says government should do. Now, this is why secularism will always tend towards being less free. That's because the government can only achieve anything good by controlling and coercing people. And that's the only power that we as human beings have. Only God can change our hearts to make us want to love our neighbour. But if you imagine, if we all did love our neighbour, pretty much all problems would disappear overnight because we would be looking out for one another rather than needing to be controlled to actually achieve um, whatever it was that the government wanted to achieve. So there's a huge difference there, and this is what secularism leads to. It leads to this kind of authoritarian, controlling attitude of the government who want to, to do something good, but who can only do it by, by coercion, by control, by fear, all of that kind of thing. So the final topic that I want to cover today in the, the theological topic, so each each podcast I like to do one final um, thing which is sort of more based on the Bible and um, it's kind of a theological thought. So this time I want to look at asceticism and it seems like in our society we, um, we are becoming much more ascetic. So asceticism is the idea that we, that a virtuous and good thing is to go without. So you can see this in, in various different ways. You think about climate change, for example. Um, a lot of what's going on with climate change at the moment is 
is this that you know we need to we need to stop driving cars we need to turn the heating down we need to do less and less and less because the more stuff that we do the more carbon we're pumping into the atmosphere and that's bad so we need to stop doing that and it's is very much like a modern form of the you know the old self-flagellation i remember there was a scene in um you know the da vinci code the film where um i think it's paul bettany's character was flagellating himself and uh, you know that's that's just what it means really beating our beating ourselves and you know hurting ourselves as kind of a virtuous thing you can see that as well in lockdown i think that attitude was very much there that you know we need to to stop seeing other people you know stop seeing your friends stop seeing your families stop doing things that you enjoy because it could spread the virus and you know the the goal is um you know we we don't want to see them we want to stay away from them now all of this is interesting to me um i've over the last you know year or so i've been thinking a lot about um cs lewis's sermon the weight of glory and i think this is a really very very insightful sermon and actually on my previous video on revelation or and previous podcast on revelation um a hat tip to you who are listening on the podcast i know um it's a growing number of you so welcome um and um yeah, someone actually commented and um, gave me the quote. I was searching for the quote and it was actually from The Weight of Glory. I should have known that really. Um, but let me just read you the beginning of The Weight of Glory because I think this is really insightful about what's been happening. If you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied love. You see what has happened. A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. Now, I think that's a really, really important quote. And um, interestingly, this was preached in 1942, so you know, 80 odd years ago, um, and he could see, you know, what was happening. But I think that's exactly what has happened in our society, that you know, we are imposing harsh rules on ourselves because we think that's virtuous, because we think um, that is good. But at the same time, as Lewis points out, that's not what love means. Love means about you know, securing good things for others, securing another's good. And yes, you know, there are there are times when we do need to refrain. So loving others means, for example, not murdering them. Yeah, you know, completely that's that's significant. But it's more than that. Um, and I was I was thinking about this with um, in our um, harvest service a couple of weeks ago in our church. We had a segment from um, Tear Fund. We watched a video from Tear Fund about some farm farmers in Burkina Faso, and they were um, talking about climate change and how the rains have been failing, which meant that um, they, of course, the crops had failed and they were you know, struggling. 
And um, it just made me think about, you know, the way that we respond to climate change in this country. And you think, you know, will, will, you know, the fact that we, we are sitting here kind of flagellating ourselves, giving ourselves, you know, whipping ourselves on the back about, you know, no, you can't have more heating. No, you can't have cars. No, you know, will that help the people in Burkina Faso? And I mean, the some of the scientists anyway might say, well, yes, it will eventually. Um, although I, I think probably it's got of limited value, given that, you know, comparing our emissions to that of China, for example. Or um, is there a better way to actually love the people in Burkina Faso? And this is kind of what I've been thinking about, that climate change is, you know, really, I think it's, and so many of the things in society today are about, you know, trying to give ourselves a pat on the back because we are so good at going without, without actually doing anything to help the other person. You know, and, and I think when it comes to Burkina Faso, are there things that we could be doing? I mean, not just providing aid, but, you know, teaching them new methods of farming. Could we be providing irrigation? Could we be digging? Um, you know, um, could we be doing all sorts of things to help, which do not involve just sitting at home and, you know, turning the taps or, you know, turning the heating off or, or whatever it might be. Um, and, and this is the thing, you know, that love involves actively doing something to help someone else not just about going without them ourselves now there's a um, some verses in um, Colossians which I think speak to this this is what it says in Colossians uh, chapter 2 um, verses 20 to 23 since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules do not handle do not taste do not touch these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So the Apostle Paul says that, you know, these these kind of rules don't look, touch, you know, don't taste, whatever it is kind of rules there may be the rules that we give which we think are virtuous do not do that do not do this they have a, an appearance of wisdom he says and they have you know self-imposed worship and false humility so you know that the people who who say them and do them actually are are you know thinking to themselves oh aren't i virtuous because i'm so good for not doing these things but actually um, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, they don't actually help in the end. That, you know, it doesn't stop the feelings going away of whatever it, thing that we want to do, whatever bad thing we want to do. And it doesn't help anyone else. You know, it's just entirely about me and, you know, my own how good I am at keeping the rules rather than about focusing on their needs. And I just wonder if you know, things like lockdown and climate change and so on, it could have just been phrased so much more differently, thinking rather than, you know, focusing on our own emissions, on our own targets, on this, that and the other, actually focusing on the needs of the world. You know, how can we best love and support the people of the world? And I think if we thought about that, we might find that sitting at home and turning the gas off and driving less is actually not the best thing to be doing but perhaps there are other better ways that we can actually love our neighbor in a global sense as well as in the the local sense as well 
Um, so yeah, thinking about how we can genuinely love uh, one another. It's not about asceticism. It's not about, you know, these rules don't taste, handle, touch, whatever it may be. But actually, it is about looking to proactively love, to do what is right and best, and thinking in those terms. Um, as Lewis said uh, in the sermon as well, that love is the highest of the virtues, and that's that's what we should be, be cultivating. So uh, that brings us to the end of this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, a few people have said that um, it's helping them to, to see things in, you know, different ways and and so on I'm, I'm just really glad that it seems to be being appreciated i have a lot of these kind of thoughts um and you know i always find that uh, there's too much to share in any one kind of sitting so if there's anything in particular that you would like you know a bit of guidance on or you know how to think christianly um about then let me know in the comments below if you'd like me to see me sort of cover any particular topics um just a final reminder i know that you know youtube videos always have to finish with this it's the law you know do please click the thumbs up do please uh, subscribe if you're not subscribed already you can subscribe on the podcast as well all the links down below in the description and um, there's a link to buy me a coffee if you appreciate what i do um, i just appreciate any any support um, of any kind as well you know the the likes the subscribes the comments uh, and you know um, any of that that's all really really appreciated So thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. And I hope to see you again next week. But till then, God bless.